Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer, sponsored tonight by Parker Heights Real Estate. And you're going to understand why when we get into the topic. So we know a lot of you folks out there are frustrated because there's not a lot of properties to buy in Eugene or Springfield or Oregon for that matter, uh, but especially in Eugene and Springfield. And so we're going to bring on Mike Clark, who is a city councilor with Eugene uh, to kind of talk about the urban growth boundary. I really think people need to understand that better. I need to understand that better. In fact, I misspoke today. I said, Eugene doesn't have a plan for urban growth. Um, and I was wrong. And Mike and I had that conversation today. But what I should have said is, Eugene, <laughs> this is my opinion, Eugene doesn't have a very good plan <laughs> for an urban growth boundary. So that would be my opinion. But who am I? So, but we also want to talk with Amanda Parker and I'm going to bring her on. Hi, Amanda. Hello. So Amanda's a realtor. She is based out of a Junction City. So right off the top, we're going to tell you something really cool we're going to do. So Amanda is going to, for you to go like her page, Parker Heights Realty, and we'll put that up in the comment section here later on. Um, if you go like that page, then you nominate somebody you want to have a meal, a $50 gift card that Amanda is going to provide to the restaurant of your choice in Junction City. So the restaurant has to be in Junction City, or we could include Monroe too, couldn't we? Or Harrisburg, yeah. Or Harrisburg. So Junction City, Monroe. That's what they so <laughs> Monroe or Harrisburg and she'll buy the $50 gift card and you give it to someone else because we want to help the restaurants. They're desperately in need of help. And we also want to help people in your community. So picks don't, don't pick yourself, pick somebody that you know that we can surprise them. And then, and then give us the reason why, because Amanda and her staff, they're going to look at these answers and see. What. So Amanda, let's get down to the topic here. Tell me what is, I mean, you, I think we start with this. You said that you have houses that are selling for how much more than the list price? I mean, give people a, a story like that. So it's really not uncommon to see things right now um, go sell for anywhere from 50. I've even heard of ones going over for a hundred over asking. Um, due to that's 50,000 50, and a hundred thousand over the, the price, the list price of the house. Yes. There has been some that have gone that high. Um, I think that if you wanted to average it out, it's probably an average of maybe about 30, 35. Um, but it's not uncommon for it to go 50 to 100,000 over. So how many properties are on the market right now? Um, you looked up Lane County. How many, how many houses are, are on, on the market right now? So in just Lane County, um, that includes uh, Florence and surrounding areas of Eugene, um, there's 304 active listings. So active meaning that they are on the market with no offers on them, or they might have offers, but they're not set to pending yet. Um, we didn't include um, pending listings, which are technically active, but they're set to close. Um, and then in just Eugene alone, uh, we didn't pull the numbers for Springfield, um, but today, as of this afternoon, there were 131 uh, active listings. So there's only 131 houses on the market in Eugene right now. Yes. So as a realtor, that's got to be a nightmare because you have clients. There's no, there's, there's nothing. That's basically nothing. Um, that's right. So like I said to you earlier, everyone can sit down and write a list of 131 people that they know. Um, so that means if 
all 131 of those people decided today they're going to go buy a house and make an offer and their offer were to get accepted, we would have no inventory left. So the last few months, um, we our market reports ha have came out and those reports have said that we're at like anywhere from 0.4 to 0.6, um, which means that we would only make it 0.4 to 0.6 of a month before we ran out of inventory. So that's less than a month's worth of inventory. So what does that do to all these people who are trying to get out of paying exorbitant, exorbitant prices for rent and trying to buy a home and they, they, they can't do it? Um, it just means that you, I mean, if you're making offers, you, you have to be competitive. I mean, I know everyone thinks, oh, I want a deal, but I don't know if there's any deals to be had right now, unless you are coming into something that maybe needs work. I know a lot of people that we come in contact with, they really want um, something that's completely redone. And I usually tell my clients, like, if you can find something even in a high market that you know, you can make your own or just cosmetic fixers, do it because you're, you're still, you're buying high, but you're still leaving room open to build equity into that home. And so, um, it's just, I tell people every day, you just have to be competitive and you have to play the game or else you're going to be fighting it and not win. Right. So let's bring Mike Clark on here. Mike, I'm going to put you actually, I'm going to trade your place up here with me because when these comments come on, they right. cover up your face. And that isn't kind to cover up your guest's face. The host, yes, but the guests, no. I have some manners here. Well, so Mike, that's really kind of you, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> so you're involved two ways. So kind of explain to people, you're a Eugene City Councilor and have been for 100 years. Not quite that old, brother, but thank you very much. I have been, I'm in my 15th year on the Eugene City Council. Mm -hmm. But you're also a mortgage lender. I am, in fact, with Director's Mortgage, yeah. And every, I can absolutely confirm everything Amanda just said. It's absolutely crazy out there right now. I had a buyer two weeks ago that offered 77.5 over list for a three-bedroom, two-bath, 350 house and didn't get it because they didn't offer enough money. So, Mike, talk to Amanda and me and our audience. How did we get here? Um, because the part and specifically there's a couple of things, but I really want to focus, as we said, on the urban growth boundary, because that's been something it's very controversial. Um, but it, it, it so I'm just going to let you start that conversation. You, I, I think it is important to say that the UGB is a part of the problem we're seeing right now with a lack of housing. Um, it, it's a big part in my opinion, but there are an awful lot of things going on both and nationally. We're just experiencing it a little bit m more intensely here and we're in kind of a perfect storm. I mean, lumber prices these days and, and the parts that go into homes, the cost have doubled and more. Um, there are a lot of factors that are doing this um, and demand is up because rates are low. But in our community, uh, in, in 2017, we established our urban growth boundary as a city per se, rather than with Springfield that we did in 1980. And when we, in, when we established our own individual urban growth boundary, um, we did it adding no new land for residential development. We instead made the case to the state that we had enough urbanizable land within our urban growth boundary um, for the kind of development we wanted to see. And that's really kind of where the land use battles in our city have been going on forever is what kind of city will we be tomorrow? 
one that has, you know, three bedroom, two bath and a lawn kind of houses or dense urban development. And the majority in our community decided they want dense urban development and that they they would they would stop the UGB from expanding at any cost. And, you know, the the laws of supply and demand dictate that we're paying that cost now. So the, we want affordable housing for people. We say that all the time. Right. But the very things that we're doing or have done in the past are preventing that from happening. That's correct. Yeah. If you look at the permits at the city permit department, and I'm again, just talking about Eugene at what we, what we got permits to build um, 12, 15 years ago, we were building six, 700 houses a year, new homes. A lot of that was in housing developments as opposed to a one-off house here and there. Okay. Um, when we got into the depths of 2008, the number of permits dropped into the 100s and we slowly built our way back out of that until we hit that point in 2017 where we said we're not going to add new land to the urban growth boundary. And we, although we got back up to like into the 300s, we've leveled off and for the last three years we haven't built uh, but 200 and some houses each year. And as of a few weeks ago, the permits taken out at the city's permit department for new house construction in Eugene were 51. And that's a significant problem. Our, pl our planning took place, and I can go on and on with this stuff forever, so just interrupt me when you like. But oh, oh, our, our planning for the urban growth boundary dictated that in the 20-year planning window between 2015 and 2035, that we needed um, 8,400 new multifamily units and 6,400 single family units to be constructed over that 20 year window. So when you do the math, that's well over 300 per year. And I would argue that when we looked at the population for, forecast, it was, it was horribly low. And we've seen twice the <clears throat> the amount of people move here twice the population growth that we planned for. We should be building five to 600 new homes in our community a year in order just to keep up if we and had Amanda, normal supply and demand. And Amanda, you see that every day when you're selling out showing property, there's nothing, there's not much to show. Absolutely. And just to add to what he said is, is that, um, when he's talking about the urban growth boundary and about how the city council has decided to basically um, do the, is it the and high density, um, which is in my eyes, um, multifamily homes instead of single family, that's all good, great and fine. But the only thing you're doing is you're just adding more rentals. You're not allowing people yeah. to be homeowners. I That's mean, exactly. stay right here and rent right now, but that money and rent is just going to go up. And those people want to be homeowners. They, they don't want to stay in a duplex or apartment their whole life. And so they want to move to the next level. And so it's not helping them. It's only holding them back because as he's saying, you're we're not adding the infrastructure for building for single family that we should be at the rate that we should be. They only want to add for more multifamily. Well, you're at that point, you're, you're just restricting people. And if you're not issuing enough building permits for what you're needing to, for people that do want to build, 
then you're really holding us back. And I run into that every day of people wanting to buy um, bare land and build um, before it was hard. And now with COVID, it's even harder. I mean, I'll tell you a personal experience. I called today just to get a electrical panel <laughs> updated in a um, in a uh, property that I have some buyers buying. And they, she said she has 25 applications on her desk that used to take 24 hours. And now they're taking weeks because I don't know who's working there. <laughs> so it's, it's simple things just like that, that all come into play that make our housing in industry even harder and people who want to build and make their American dream. It's, it, it, it holds them back every day because they think, oh, I have to go to the city. I don't want to do that. Well, and, and aren't you, if you're, if you're making, if you're making it so more people are renting, the rental market goes up, the prices go up. So you're creating more unaffordable housing. And then people complain all the time, which I understand that rent is so high, that housing prices are so high. We've created this. So the very people we say that we're trying to help low income folks, moderate income folks, we're actually hurting them more than the wealthy people. And it's, it's actually worse than that, Rick. It's intentional poverty in the long run. Um, it, MIT did a study about six years ago about the fastest way to end income and wealth inequality in our country and by a huge margin. There's nothing that does it faster than home ownership. Home ownership creates more of a middle class in, in, in any community where it's higher. And the West Coast average is about 65% home ownership and about 35% renters. In Eugene, it's 49% home ownership and 51% renters. We're intentionally building a system, as she just exactly mentioned, when we're building more and more and more multifamily rentals to ensure more poverty. And that's my opinion. 100% with you. <laughs> it's yep. frustrating because yep. you you have those families that come to you with just barely enough of a down payment and you want to help them because for me that's what that's satisfaction my job keeps me going is helping them who need it and when there's just not that available it just it what they're doing is they're just going to keep making real estate prices keep inflating and they're making people more reliant on low income than they really need to be. And then once they go try to apply for that low income, they get told that they make too much money. So we're causing the very problem that we say we're trying to fix. And, and now Mike, you were also talking about system development charges that you were talking on the phone this afternoon. I was like, what? I mean, yeah. so we already have high housing prices. We already have a market that doesn't have enough houses. We're infilling where these homes are like right next to each other all the way through. And and then we have these system development charges that are, uh, I, what you were telling me, that's pretty expensive. Yeah, it's actually worse than that. I, I hate saying that and sounding all dramatic because there are lots of solutions as well. But the city's policies create a lot of this. It's, it's a simple supply and demand issue. Um, the costs that go into housing are, you know, land, building supplies, the labor to build them, and the externalities. And in our case, those externalities are systems development charges, which are um, the state law allows for cities to charge that because when you get a new house, there's infrastructure already built that other people paid for. And so you're joining it, you're kind of paying your share of the costs to get that infrastructure there. 
but we've increased those charges at the city of Eugene at crazy kinds of levels. Um, arguments I've made over the last couple of years that, that were simply intentionally creating more uh, unaffordable housing. Last year, the city increased uh, SDCs for transportation by 50%. Last year, the city increased SDCs for uh, parks and recreation by 50%. We added the construction excise tax of 1% on all new development, all of which is, is to build a pool of money in order to build more, uh, more subsidized and affordable housing. But we can't build our way out of that fast enough with that kind of pool of money. The only thing we're doing is adding to the lopsided market. Um, I would argue that we need a lot of these things, but we need to work now on balancing our market because it's incredibly unbalanced. Well, and you know, sometimes when I I'll get in a discussion slash argument um, on social media about this issue, um, I hear people that come in and say, well, we don't want to destroy any more farmland. And yeah. I say, guess what Oakway was? A farm. Yeah. Guess what the Whitaker was? A farm. I mean, you have to take there. And plus, there's not there's there's land. It's just if people want to have homes. I think it's just maybe is this what it is, Mike? There's two different ideas. One is yeah. you build up and create these these you know, confined places like you see in Europe or one. You have the, the American dream where we have a home and we have a, 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 a tiny yard, at least a yard our kids could play in and some kind of space so that we're, you know, like like what, we're, what we've had. Is that the two kind of the yeah. basic? argument right there it's, it's a dynamic tug of war that's been taking place in our community for a long time i referred to it early on as the land use war it's it's who are we going to be tomorrow right and there's an awful lot of folks who will fight tooth and nail to make sure that not one inch of potential um, farmland surrounding our community is ever used to build homes they will and frankly they've been in the political majority for a long time and that's how we've gotten to this place and I don't disagree with them that we should be building densely in the core of our community. But I believe in a more balanced approach that we should be building out in a very measured and balanced way at the same time that we're building densely in our core. So, Mike, Josh Kendall asks, how much do you think the term affordable housing, subsidized housing confuses and complicates the issue? Quite a bit, in my opinion. We refer to at the council and the policy level, we re refer to affordable housing, and that means housing that is helped in some way by the government to be built, whether it's with direct money or land banking or some of the other credit opportunities that there are. Um, but it is, it is more properly, in my opinion, called, uh, subsidized housing when the government steps into to lower costs. Because so, don't you think, oh, go ahead, Amanda, go ahead. Um, somebody just commented, I don't know who it was, they said, isn't there a limit on how much multifamily homes can come in? But I think what people also need to know is that they've also passed a thing stating that on single family lots, you can now put multifamily homes. So you're still not, you might help the rental market, but you're not helping the buying market. So I think that's something people don't know either. It's exactly right. right. House Bill 2001 that passed the legislature here just this last session essentially eliminated the definition of R1 as a protection for low density residential housing in our state and in communities of our size and said that you can every single family homeowner has the right to build up to a fourplex 
on their property. Wow. Which helps investors and builders, but it doesn't doesn't help a family. And like, I've seen that Matt Kendall had commented saying um, that there needs to be incentive for builders to build or more motivation. And I, completely agree with that. I mean, I work with a few investors myself who want to build, but it the city makes it really, and different zoning laws and so forth, make it really hard to do that or to want to do it because nobody wants, I mean, they're all going to do it for a profit. No one's going to work for free, but it needs, everyone needs to work together to make it happen. Well, how is there an incentive? There's no incentive to build because there's no land and there's, you know what I mean? And, and so you've, you've, and, and and then people gripe and see I didn't know some of this I'm, I'm learning too I love this but I didn't understand but people keep griping because we have more housing going up more apartments more student housing that's because that's what the markets we've created that's where people can live they can't live in houses anymore and it's important to remember we're doing this on purpose we have a plan and it's important to remember that while people have a discomfort with that level of growth we're not meeting the planned numbers yet. And that means that it's gonna grow ever more constricted and ever more expensive unless we're actually meeting those numbers. And like I mentioned before, that 20 year plan calls for 8,400 new multifamily units to be built. If they're scarce because we're not building enough, they're more expensive. Now to get a real, you know, head a mental picture about what that number means. The hub is a new student housing thing that was built a couple of years ago. It's like 12 stories over there on Franklin. You know where I'm talking about, right? As you turn to go up onto the aqueduct on the Ferry Street Bridge, it's got 187 units in it. In order to build 8,500 new multifamily units, you have to build the equivalent of 43 hubs. And that's what we're planning to build in the next 20 years. And I would still make the argument, it's not going to come close to the demand based on the number of people who are moving here. Do you think that this is going to have to be re-looked at? Because so many people are going to do it tomorrow, but what the council has no appetite to do, when I say the council, I say the the council majority has decided that we're not going to have a a real discussion about the UGB for at least another couple of years. And by that time, how far behind will we be? I can, you, you can see the trends. You don't have to work too hard to see the trends without a, a major shift of some kind. I believe they will continue. So how can people look people straight in the eye and say, you know, we really want to get the prices down on housing. We need to get more affordable housing. And I look at affordable housing as not just, um, for people of low income. I'm talking about people of that are working right. families trying to board, buy just an affordable house. That's an right. affordable house. And then you have low income housing. The two names I think get all messed around a little bit. Oh, and yeah. when are we gonna create a community that that encourages families to, to build and invest? Because the other thing you know about a community is I remember when I worked at KZI, Scott Chambers was always looking for people who wanted to buy a home in a town because they knew you'd be there to commit to your job and your community. You'd be involved in people's lives. And right now we're, we're creating a transit community um, and we have a ton of homeless people that can't even afford to get into subsidized housing 
And yet we sit and say out of one side of our mouth, we want to help. And out of the other side of the mouth, we create rules that stop that from happening. That is terrible. Yeah. And there's been an awful lot of conversation these days at City Hall and well, <laughs> with city government and in other places about missing middle housing and ADUs and so forth. And while that seems like a, a smaller sized home would be a good idea and, and making it easier to build more of them, the challenge is this, you're, you're building them as one-offs. And in a time, you know, when we were first talking about this at council a year ago, a year and a half ago, when building costs were about $215 a square foot, an 800 square foot ADU in the backyard is $160,000 to build. Today, those costs are a lot closer to $400 a square foot. Wow. And so if you can find people who can afford to do it, great. But I, that's not a solution to large scale um, lack of housing. And, and not to dominate the conversation too much here, but the type of land matters too. Um, we have dedicated ourselves in Eugene to a, to a policy of infill. That means that there's one lot available here and there's another one over there and there's another one over here. Lots of companies that build housing in our area don't build houses that way. They build them in developments or not at all. And so that's why you see the 50, 60 new houses at the development in Springfield. But we don't have land of that size and that, that you know, makeup in the city of Eugene to build enough housing fast enough and at economies of scale. So, Mike, is it true also that and, and I'm going to say this wrong, but <clears throat> I don't mind being corrected because Eugene and Springfield used to be in the same UBG. It was together. And then a few years ago that got split up. And was that because Springfield wanted to grow and Eugene wanted to grow out or have this kind of housing and Eugene wanted to stay in? So they they're 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 their their um, their goals were different so that got split up so they each have their own ubg that's a complex thing to assign how and why it happened but it is true that senate bill 100 you know started land use planning in oregon in the late 1970s uh, ugb it said that cities like ours the uh, municipalities were the logical provider of urban services and created a UGB as a as a line around and on the outside of uh, a city limits to say beyond this point we will not urbanize the land we will not grow. Um, when when that first went into effect in 1980, our first UGB was around Eugene and Springfield. It was called the the Metro Boundary, right? Uh huh. And in 2007, House Bill uh, 3337 passed by an overwhelming majority in the legislature, um, split our UGB down I-5 between Eugene and Springfield. So now each city since 2007 has a, a state mandate to create their own UGB around each city. Okay. And, you know, it kind of happened because Springfield had different ideas about how they wanted to grow than Eugene did. And we were controlling the policy for all. So, And they are building more over there, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, are you seeing it, Amanda, too, in Springfield? They're building more. They're helping a lot of locally owned businesses more. Um, there's a ton of things that you can see that are different. 
and it's pretty noticeable. I met with a, um, a person who owns a ton of commercial buildings a few weeks ago in downtown Springfield, and he was explaining to me the differences and their, um, basically, they basically have a fund to help people start local businesses that are you know, privately owned and how it gets them up off the ground. And so if you mix that with them still wanting to build and grow, the solution is going to be a lot better than Eugene's going to look in a few years, in my opinion. So Matt Ken, a realtor. Yeah, Matt's a realtor. You guys know him. Uh, a while back, he said he sent a few emails to each counselor and boy, the response in regards to what the plan was regularly left unanswered, not Mike, but with the other people. Uh, Ryan Ress says, you can if you change the UBG. We do know that. Matt says, kicking the can down the curb. Mike, uh, okay, he's Josh is setting you up here. Mike, what did Betty Taylor mean by a green belt to limit urban growth? And Josh, I'm kidding, but I just, I know that it's a, go ahead, Mike. There's your question. Well, that's, yeah, absolutely, and thanks, Matt. You're a, you're a kind soul, I appreciate that. So this is Joshua. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I was responding to, to Matt's oh, comment. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was an idea of Betty's, and we've actually talked about it. Um, in other words, to, to create a stronger law than just the urban growth boundary, but that the land surrounding the UGB was not capable of being expanded into. In other words, <clears throat> there's a process, there's a state process in law right now where the, every few years the city needs to prove to the state that we have a 20-year supply of urbanizable land based on our density policies and betty had an idea that we should we should build an uh, an even more um, robust protection that we never add land to the ugb ever and there are many people in our community who agree with her so that's the tug of war that takes place. So it's that because that there's been a, a kind of an attitude in Eugene ever since I've been here for 30 some years um, that, you know, there's people that want to grow and want yeah. to expand because they want to invest their businesses and do that kind of thing. And then there's people who want Eugene to be what Eugene was 30 years ago. And yeah. that, and right now you come down to Fifth Street Market area and it's it's blowing up. And you go down through campus and buildings are blowing up. Um, you know, you can control growth, but, but at some point, everybody else wants to come here for the same reason you did. Um, yep. And you don't own it. Everybody else wants a part of that too. And we have to share, you know? I feel like <laughs> the same people who wanted it to be what it is 30 years ago are the same ones that are complaining that our housing costs are too expensive and that our wages don't reflect that. Like someone just commented, nobody can afford it because the wages don't match. Well, even if the wages match, they're never going to be able to afford it because the inflation price of those houses are going to keep rising because we're never going to be, keep adding. The demand is what makes it rise. It's not exactly about the wages. I mean, the wages could keep rising, but they're never going to catch up to that inflation price. Man, yeah. exactly right. no, matter, no matter what we do, we can't repeal the law of supply and demand. <clears throat> we can't stop people who like the idea of living here from coming here. And those two things mean that the wise thing for us to do is plan intelligently and honestly about our future. And, and that fight, there, there are some people that want our future to look more like San Francisco. And there are some people that don't that would like it to look, you know, um, less 
less of an urban dense uh, environment that and and that's the tug of war you know and the the dense urban environment comes with higher costs matt said that uh some folks the same folks who want to don't want to expand the ubg complain about housing prices um, and and I, I, I find that to be true. So let's leave this on a positive note with you, Mike, and then I'm gonna, Aunt Amanda and I will give something away. <laughs> so we'll leave it really positive. What can people, so this, this shows us that we need to be more involved in what the council is doing and electing officials and, and setting an agenda that we wanna be part of too. So I think for a long time, people have just abdicated. I think COVID has taught us that we have to be involved in what goes on around us. Um, and we, I'm seeing, you know, down in Cottage Grove, they had one school board seat come up. I think it was a school board. It was either that or council seat come up for appointment. And they had eight people come in for that one thing because people were like, okay, I've seen what happens now. <laughs> you know, I gotta be involved. So we need people to be more involved in the election process, to be more involved in running for city council, uh, vote, find out who you're voting for, make sure that your ideas are being brought into that whole picture? Yeah, Mike. absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. <clears throat> I have the privilege to represent the people in Ward 5, which is North Central Eugene. Okay? And the, the, the people who show up at a city council meeting, even on a Zoom like this, to give um, testimony at a public forum, to talk to the council and tell, it, tell us what it is you think, um, by and large, almost 90% of people who speak are from wards one, two, three, some from eight and some from seven. Um, one in 300 will be from my ward. There are parts of our community who don't speak out and don't speak to the council in times of important decisions. And it's, it's really time to change that. Send an email, talk and participate. And like Rick said, get informed. And be kind. Absolutely. We're all, we're all trying to make a look. Sorry. Yeah. When I get an email that says yeah. you're an asshole, I don't pay attention yeah. after that. It's like, okay, I'm yeah. done. You know, I'm yeah. not going to listen yeah. to you. So, hey, yeah. Mike, thank you. I know you're busy. Thank you for taking your time. And, and thank if you, you want very much for sponsoring the show. Fantastic. Absolutely. Very interesting to me. So, <laughs> All right, Mike, I'm going to pull you out of here for a second. So, Amanda, we're going to do a little giveaway. So you okay. guys go to Parker Heights Realty. And if you will take Amanda, you can take your link and put it in the comment section. So it makes it easy. And then you guys go there, like her page and then tell her, nominate somebody for a $50 gift card and then tell them what restaurant you want that somebody to go to in Monroe, Harrisburg or Junction City. And then Amanda will get that going. And Amanda, if you need help with that, just toss it off on me because um, okay. I know you're really busy. But if you, you know, I can pick the, the restaurant and stuff like that or look at them but I want them to go to your page so they'll like your page, okay? Okay. All right, and if you guys, if you're looking for a realtor, there you go. And of course, if you're looking for financing. <laughs> Anyone Mike, in my office. So. Yeah, and Mike was just there, so he's he can get you financed and get you taken care of. Um, and uh, I would just say good luck. <laughs> yeah. Amanda, thanks again, and we'll Thank see you, you next month. All right, Thanks. see you later. All right, you guys, so there we go. Again, once again, you gotta be involved. Um, we have abdicated our responsibility too long and let people like Mike carry the ball. 
Um, while the rest of us, well, we got Mike. Uh, Mike's doing it for it. Yeah, yeah, go to Mikey. He'll do it. But what about us? What about those other positions? And it doesn't mean they're bad people. There's other people in there. But we need some balance in Oregon. Oh, my God. We have a super majority in the legislature. And then we all sit here and go, oh, how come my views are never heard? Well, it's because you didn't do anything before. So when you vote, you need to know who you're voting for. And we never have a super majority. We have a super majority on the council. We need to have balance so that we go back to the old principle that my dad worked on in the Oregon Education Association was his negotiation. You bring conservative ideas, you bring liberal ideas, you bring middle of the road ideas, and you all hammer out something that looks like the whole community. You don't finagle it so that one side wins all the time and the other side loses. So it's off balance because now Oregon is off balance. Eugene is off balance. And we need to get that back together so we can all be one big community. It's not a win or lose. It's a work together. We keep saying that. We always say, oh, we need to work together and make sure everybody's heard. We're not listening to everybody. And we need to start. My opinion. But thank you very much. Um, I'm Rick Dancer. Tomorrow we don't have a show because I'm working on something else. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, we're going to be visiting um, a new restaurant in downtown Springfield called the Tavern on Main. Uh, you're going to love this place. It's really cool. So we're going to take you there. And then we got a whole lineup. Our whole month is full. So clients that are calling me today, we're, we're booking for June. So yeah, you don't need to watch anything else. Just watch here. We got all.